0: Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's Talk Radio Show About Opera. You can give on our website, OperaBoxcore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera related. OperaBoxScore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live
1: from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble!
0: Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's Talk Radio Show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by creative consultant Oliver Camacho. We're live on 89.3 FM, WNUR-FM, Evanston, Chicago. Hey, you can be one of our listeners who gets to chime in about what we're talking about. 847-866-WNUR is the number in studio. We're also streaming live on WNUR.org slash pop-up. Again, call us, 847-866-WNUR. 866-9687. 866-9687. All right, this week, Oliver and I swap postcards and stories about our summer escapes in opera land from the Midwest to the East Coast and beyond. Don't miss the highs and lows of our travels. And, but of course, you get all your opera headlines and our hot takes on them in the two-minute drill. That's at 9.20 p.m. Got a good show for you today, and it is great to be back in the studio with you, Oliver.
2: I didn't get a chance to congratulate Roger Federer. I know he listens because he must be a fan of opera because he's a classy guy. Right. But Roger Federer won his, I guess, eighth Wimbledon or ninth Wimbledon. Uh, And uh, I forget what number it was, but yeah. But it's pretty amazing considering that he was pushed out of the top four recently. Um, Yeah, it's like a perfect storm of. Djokovic, Djokovic having an elbow or shoulder or elbow or whatever injury. Right. And Nadal and getting knocked out early, if that's what happened. I was actually at Amherst during the entire tournament, so I didn't get a chance to watch it. But it's, I didn't
0: watch a minute of Wimbledon I love
2: I love Wimbledon so much. It's like I wish I could get married on center court.
0: Strawberries and cream. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know to who or why, but there's got to be some opera involved somehow, some dancing. But yeah, center court Wimbledon be a great place for i'm me. just
0: thrilled that when i look at my phone and the espn app is that there are football games mm. coming up in a couple weeks mm. nfl preseason starts you're going to sleep over there in the yeah studio. i need that's to, really exciting no no i me. need to
2: turn off my espn notifications or whatever because I, I do have some no maybe it's my new york times notifications <laughs> oh, i get on. push notifications about sports sometimes and i was in the middle of like a concert at Amherst Festival, right. and uh, I got the notification that Roger Federer had won. Oh, okay. And I wanted to watch it. I had it recording, right? And I wanted to go home and watch it that night. Yeah, I was really dismayed. But I heard he won in straight sets, and it was very easy. But I'm actually he I was, dominated. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Unlike the Bears, which are going to be suffering
2: this whole... Already? Talking about the Bears? Ye- it's yeah. Okay.
0: yeah, it's time to talk about Bears. I can't talk about the Cubs anymore. Okay. I'm just so sick of baseball. We have a lot of opera to talk about. We've got a lot of catching up to Wait do. Wait a second. Baseball, the Cubs aren't doing well? The Cubs are leading the
2: division. They so that's
0: good. Uh, yes, yes, it's, yeah. it's good. It's good. I just...
2: You hate Chicago. No. You hate joy.
0: Opera, I, hate, I do hate joy. <laughs> Opera was so affected by the Cubs last year. Oh, that's year, true. Yeah, it
2: messed up everything. So. And
0: I'm not saying I wasn't thrilled that yeah. the Cubs won the World Series. I got the t-shirt. The whole family, we all got Cubs yeah. t-shirts for Christmas. I'm just saying, be careful what you wish for.
2: No, I was, I was the star of an oratorio concert. I'm not even kidding you. And it was th- the nights that we performed, Habits to All Fall, on like Cubs yeah. playoffs. Just not good. Like that. Not so, good. Yeah audience is decimated so (laughs) was that when tales from the opera was happening too yes oh yeah 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 rough let's talk some opera chalk
1: talk on opera box score
0: it is indeed opera box score it's on wnur 89.3 fm george cedarquist here back live in studio with
2: oliver camacho i'm back everybody I'm so
0: excited. You are back, sir. Yeah. We are back live in the studio again. We, I've been on the road doing the solo shows. We, we are in the interviews. studio. And
2: then ironically, they're doing some construction project here at WNUR. So we promised to be back in the studio for, to our audience. And now we have to figure out a way to make that happen.
0: Well, so. don't panic. We're going to keep the show going for yes. you. Tonight, if you want to call hope. in, yeah. 847-866-WNUR. In the future, you can always leave a voicemail with us. Two two four two one eight nine box tweeting at opera box score. We're, Who's checking
2: the Twitter? If you're if if Toby's out of town,
0: you can check Twitter when you're out of town.
2: <laughs> no, but I mean he's not here to like do social media for us. I understand. Are that. you doing the Twitter account right now?
0: I I try. <laughs> I try, dude. It's the summer. All right. Yeah. Plus, uh, I just and. Can I blame Trump? Yeah. There's so much happening in the world yeah, right now, it's... and I'm not even going to get you started, Oliver. But yeah. there's so much happening in it the world. Is. Is... But he's
2: on vacation, so we have a little respite from the yeah, chaos. work so. vacation and Game of Thrones. Are you watching Game of Thrones? Is that on HBO? Okay, you're not. Nah, um, no. I'm yesterday. tempted to. It's so good. There's
0: nudity, right? There is. There's breasts.
2: There are breasts, yeah. breasts, and boobs. There's been a couple of. There's been a couple of D's. They haven't been good ones, but they've been. there so. <laughs>
0: Uh, were there Ds at the Amherst Early Music You know, Music normally Festival?
2: there's a D in my life while I'm there, but um, I have to say, like, I must be getting old because... Yeah. The twenty-somethings—they're not interested anymore. <laughs> and I don't think I'm—I'm I'm quite old enough to be like daddy type, you know? Right, right. I'm in like that weird age range where I'm not quite like working the the twink the twink angle or the daddy angle, you know. Now,
0: well, let me get this straight because we—you did do a postcard from the festival yeah. a couple of shows ago, but I wanted to ask—you were a participant. You were the. No, I'm the production manager. I'm the production manager. You're The production, for the production show. manager. Yeah. Okay, which means what do you do?
2: Well, it, because it's. Uh, Festival that has a very small staff. We all do everything. So, I am the singer wrangler is my main job. Okay, I'm also the stage manager. I'm also the assistant to the director. I'm also the liaison between the costume and uh, the costume department and the singers. And I also am the the point person uh, that does the reporting to the festival director.
0: Okay, so what's the hard part?
2: The hard part part is singer wrangling. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, but it's the part that I love the most. Like you
0: do the schedule. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oliver, yeah. why would you do that to yourself? Why because I you love do- it.
2: I okay. really love it. Yeah. Okay. And I love those kids. And, like, it, always, it's so interesting to... I mean, it's a pay to sing, but I have to say there are some really important singers who have gone through the program yeah. who I know learn something from it because they say so, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the people who choose the cast for Amherst are interested not so much in people with a lot of opera experience okay. though if you have an amazing if you're an amazing singer and you've never done broke opera, mm-hmm. you probably will get cast mm-hmm. but if you're the type of person that does a bunch of pay to sings or a bunch of you know summer festivals, you probably won't get cast because Amherst really wants to teach people you know that's specifically
0: their about that era of music about historical
2: right? historically informed productions mm-hmm. uh with um, historical dance and historical gesture. And historical vocal ornamentation, high-baroque ornamentation. This historical so, body odor. So <laughs> we bring in experts in all of those fields, and they have to learn. I mean, the we were, they were lucky this year that we did King Arthur. There isn't a lot of recit in that show, so recits are actually the hardest thing mm-hmm. to do because they require a lot of gesture, a lot of gestique. Is, and, is
0: there? And this is serious. Yeah. Is there historically informed meals?
2: No. Okay. Would yeah, you, we would you we, eat, we like, eat in the cafeteria, so oh, okay. Yeah, it's like, on a college campus. It's on the cu- campus of Connecticut College, and we eat from the refectory.
0: Okay, so you're eating like chicken nuggets as opposed to like wild boar.
2: There's a salad bar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're not, and we're not, uh, and like the food is the yeah, the meat has been refrigerated, and, like all those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The yeah. the beer is room temperature. <laughs> yeah. Um, but
0: what you're saying is, it's you got to be a really good fit. You got to be really. Maybe not into that style. Obviously, you wouldn't apply for that program unless you really wanted to learn the people more about who get early the music. The people who
2: right? get cast in the show, just as like a tip to those of you who might be interested, the people who get, in, get cast in the opera are usually people who have uh, show a lot of experience singing early music mm-hmm. concert, but okay. zero opera, ah. or who have experience singing opera but zero early music. Okay, that's the the nice combination we get. So yeah. it's humbling experience for both. Because it's easy, well, that's no, not easy, but there are people who are, like, kind of got the market cornered for getting gigs in oratorio or a concert, you know, and then they have to learn how to behave on stage because they've never done it, you know. And then there are the people, like, who are amazing, you know, we have had people who, like, come from Curtis, I'm not even kidding you, like, in the opera program who have done, you know, major roles right. and are getting, you know, the kiss of luck by being in Curtis or whatever, you know. Right. Um, that they're going to have a career learning how to behave in an early music way or to play with early music people. And they tank? Everybody, it's hard. The first couple of days is really hard because everybody's like trying to like strut their stuff, you know? Right. right. But then it's ultimately a very humbling experience for them. And by the end of the show, they're all good friends mm. and the the show comes out beautifully. And especially with an ensemble piece like King Arthur where everybody is in every scene and there are, there aren't very extended arias, you know? It's like, Two minute songs at the most, you know. It's great for everybody's ego, I think. And like, we had this one, I won't say his name, but we had this one tenor who was so full of himself when he arrived. He's a great singer, great singer, actually. I i was really impressed with him. Okay. But he was kind of a, I don't know, he's sort of a D, a D, you know? Yeah. Right. A DB or a D, you know? Mm. And uh I think he thought his poop didn't smell, you know? Right. But, um, by the time we got to like the middle of the week, he realized he had so much to learn Oops. and you saw him humbled and then come back around again in time for the performance to like really show off what, what he did well. Oh wow. Just perform. Yeah. He's a great performer and you nail know. it. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's quite and a I, I love seeing, I love seeing that. Yeah. And everybody, I mean, I got, um, a note from somebody in the cast. I usually get notes. It's really nice. But this one note was particularly special mm-hmm. Uh, she said that she's one of these people who you know has a has a career singing concert and doing ensemble music mm-hmm. and whatnot, but has never sung opera before and she was very uh timid and anxious about being in a room full of opera singers she didn't realize that she wasn't but she assumed that she was okay, and we had a sort of a a problem on one of the first days of the rehearsal with one of the singers. And it could have been very embarrassing for the singer who had the problem where it could have been this like this competitive thing like where we were kind of enjoy the schadenfreude of seeing somebody else fail. But what ended up happening was everybody rallied around this person mm. and supported her. And she commented to me, the person who wrote me the note, and how surprised she was to see the camaraderie and yeah. the support and that she feels like she misjudged opera. And I don't think she actually misjudged opera. I think she might be right about her, you know, preconceptions about what the singing community is like. Cause I have seen some terrible behavior sure. backstabbing, you know, but Amherst somehow brings out this real good quality in people, you know, cause the, the project nice. is so insane. I mean, we're asking them to show up, you know, exactly six days before they have to get on stage, you know, and they start blocking immediately. They start working with the conductor immediately. They start having to incorporate and synthesize historical gesture with the staging and, you know, learning how to sing in this style all like on day two, you know? And so it's, it's a lot for them, you know?
0: It's Opera Box Score on WNUR. George Cedarquist with my creative consultant and friend Oliver Camacho. We're catching up on our summers. We got yeah, we are uh, two minute drills coming up in about ten minutes.
2: So it's sort of here in Chicago, sort of a, a slow season. Like the Chicago Summer Opera is over. Right. Um, Grant Park Music Festival does not have the Ryan Opera Center coming this year. Usually they do mm-hmm. for like a concert. Uh, they sure they don't. So the only Grand Park Opera representation happening is going to be when Lyric Opera does their, uh, you know, stars of of the opera Rising at Millennium stars. Park. No, no. This is the the real stars of the opera at oh, okay. Millennium Park, which yeah. is like September 8th. Yeah. So looking forward to that, it's always a big event here in the city. Uh, so our attention goes to Ravinia Festival, right. which is right in the middle of the um, Ravinia Steens Music Institute Program for Singers. Which Ravinia
0: uh, is similar to Tanglewood. It's the expensive wolf trap. version. I
2: mean, yeah, exactly. It's a suburban yeah. outdoor festival that that used to be like the second home of Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Yeah. and it's I guess to some extent it still is, but CSO performs much less frequently there, and they used to do when um, what's his name, conduct James Con- when James Conlon was a music director, uh, he used to do um two operas, chamber, uh, two concert operas uh, a year. And we've had other conductors who are music directors there who've did operas in the amphitheater and whatnot. Right. This year, there's no opera. There's actually one opera, which is the opera for the young. They're doing Elixir of Love. And the only singing that's happening is happening tomorrow. We have um, James Levine conducting uh, The Creation with Nadine Sierra, which is awesome. We should get her in the studio. Probably not. Yeah. And Matthew, our friend Matthew Polanzani mm-hmm. and John Rellier. There have been a couple of recitals. Uh, one that happened at the beginning of July was Ryan Speedo Green, who is the bass baritone with the amazing life story. Like He's like barely 30 years old, I forget. He's really young. He won the Met competition. Uh, he I think was going it, from juvenile detention exactly, to voice yeah. lessons. I mean, this 2017 has
0: been the year of Ryan Speedo Green. Yeah. I mean, he has literally and I, been
2: I, And I've never heard him everywhere. sing. And I was like, okay, well, here's this guy they brought on because of his story, you know. But actually, I went to his recital, and yeah. it was it was great. It He's was good. a really thoughtful program. Uh, usually, when opera singers sing, uh, you know, recitals, they tend to choose repertoire that shows off their operatic chops, you right, know, and not sure. so much their artistry, so to speak. Which is a really mean thing to say, but th- I said it. Uh, but Ryan Speedo Green gave a program that was really thoughtful. He mm. sang. Um, some African-American, not spirituals, but art songs. So texts by African-American poets, and I think mostly by African-American composers that were in the style of art songs. And that was almost the entire second half of his program. And it was really strong and really, really thought-provoking. And it was music that was really interesting I'd never heard before. What's
0: his presence like on stage?
2: How would uh, you describe that? It was apparently his first recital, his first professional recital. Hmm. Ever okay, <laughs> not just in Chicago, like ever. Yeah. So that we found that out because after the performance, he did an onstage interview, like a talkback, which was bizarre. Okay. But he that is odd. Yeah, but he's selling a book right now. Like he has his like autobiography or his biography, and so the author was up there interviewing him and giving more giving the audience more information about his life, which was super interesting, but bizarre, but interesting. Um, yeah, so he would look, he was kind of a sweaty guy, you know, but very handsome and, uh, really commanding. Like he's, he's he looks like a football player and he's like, yeah. Oh, like, you know. um, he did the Wolf Dreigerdichte von Michelangelo, which is a great set for a bass to sing. Very, very chromatic, you know, weird, uh, uh, yeah, weird harmonies, mm-hmm. you know, very interesting, interesting harmonically, mm-hmm. very adventurous harmonically. And very, you know, heavy songs. He also did some Mahler and some Liszt and uh, two hits from Schubert Svonega's song. Very classic bass repertoire. Yeah. Uh, But he sang beautifully and uh, the Liszt piece in particular was very uh, rangy and uh, had a lot of heroic phrases in it. And he really like let his voice like rip, and it was really impressive and then he showed that he could also pull back and do like this African American art song stuff and like the the Mahler, which was actually a very kind of more lyrical piece, but more nuanced you know and it was a great it was a great program his uh pianist, his collaborator was Adam Nielsen okay. who was fantastic mm. now tomorrow or not tomorrow on Wednesday, Morris Robinson is giving a much more traditional opera singer and recital uh, with Kevin Murphy. He's singing uh, an aria from Simón Bocanegra. Mm-hmm. He's singing an aria from Abduction from the Seraglio. He's singing a Mozart concert aria. I mean, this is the type of stuff I thought Ryan Speedo Green was going to sing, especially since Ryan Speedo Green got a great review for his Osmin in Abduction from the Seraglio. I thought he's going to sing this. He didn't. Uh, but Morris Robinson, who is the more established you know, more veteran singer. Right. Is going to do this repertoire on top of, he's going to sing the Wolf Addictive von Michelangelo. And I think that wow. is, I don't understand, like, Ravinia has to be smarter than that. Like, they have to realize, like, okay, these guys have the that same. That feels
0: yeah. like a goof to me.
2: Yeah. Especially since, I think Kevin Murphy is highly involved with the Ravinia Steen's program, I think he should understand. Like, that's for audiences who are coming to both these recitals, like, oh, we just heard these pieces like (laughs) earlier last month. Kevin
0: Murphy, very smart, great pianist. He's on the faculty at Indiana University. That seems strange that you would have two guys in such close of a time period singing the same
2: repertoire. yeah. Yeah. And they're both African Americans and they're both like low voices. So. A little bit of a misfire there. Interesting. So I'll also say that the Steens Institute, which is the training program for—it's a young artist program, but it's really like finishing school. Like, they don't pick people there who are, you know, need to learn anything, really. They're they're there just to attach, to me, yeah. attach their name to these people's careers, you know? There have been some great singers who have come to the Steens program, like Misha Brugers-Gosman, Paul Appleby, Nadine Sierra did it one year. Mm-hmm. Um, Amanda Forsyth did it like really, really fantastic singers this year. The one that I've, I haven't heard all of them yet, but the one that I've identified so far, uh, who, um, just as like an enigmatic performer and has a tone quality that's reminiscent of, um, Lorraine Hunt-Lieberson, gorgeous mezzo-soprano, uh, is an Israeli singer named Hagar Sharvit. Uh, so that I'm going to say, look out for Hagar Sharvit, mezzo-soprano, Um, and your opera house is near you. The other singers that I heard, I won't say who they are. And like I said, I haven't heard, haven't heard all of them, but a lot of them seem like opera singers doing a fellowship and not like, you know, beautiful concert singers that are really doing important work and working with. You mean
0: they're not committed enough?
2: I just, I feel like Ravinia is going a little bit in the wrong direction. And like, I, I hate to say that because I benefit from Ravinia's generosity towards me, Mm -hmm. uh, as whatever, as a media person, I get comp tickets to stuff, you know, and I don't want them to hear this, but I'm concerned about the direction of the Steens program for singers. I feel like they're picking opera singers, which is fine, but I feel like they're not thinking about the legacy of, of, what Steens has done and its importance to developing concert singers people who specialize in it feels like you music, want
0: a so. little more gravitas you want a little more long term
2: vision i just want them to, to pick singers who are more interesting and who might have something to say about the repertoire and might have a specialty even in repertoire uh, like a couple of years ago, they had, I think a Finnish singer or, uh, I I forget where she was, but she was from like one of the Baltic areas and she came and she brought like this Baltic repertoire and it was amazing. I was like, wow, I've never heard this stuff and it's so cool, you know, but, uh, right now they're, this year they're doing William Bolcom, which is, you know, he's a friend of the show, you know, yeah, sure. they're doing, um, they did, like, a Finnish program a couple days ago. I mean, a Scandinavian program a couple days ago, which I didn't get to see. Yeah. But uh, they also do, like, uh, they're doing a lot of American music, which I, I understand. That's important. Yes, everybody should learn American music, you know. But I feel like American art song, oh, I'm going to stick, I'm sticking my foot in my mouth so badly right now. Uh, I know that English is the lingua franca right now of opera. Right. But I'm not sure if American composers have yet grasped The art of the art song, you know, if we have enough of that, you know, great American composers. And yes, there are Libby Larson. Amazing. You know, Samuel Barber, dead, but amazing. You know, there there are people out there, but I'm not I'm not all for it yet. And maybe that's the point. Maybe that's what they're trying to do this year. Or that's what they've been trying to do. They're trying to really emphasize uh american art song and i should just get with the program but i was bored at the at the first concert that i went to
0: hey if you've been to ravinia this summer (laughs) let us know what you think we have to go back and edit
2: this
0: (laughs) at opera box score excuse me opera box dot gmail.com is the email hey after the break you get our hot takes on everything that you need to know from the past week in opera land it's the two-minute drill and it's only on opera box score and wnur 89.3 fm
1: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Actor, former football player and father of five. I'm also an expert on drama. There's the good kind that comes with having a house full of kids and there's silly drama like the drama around my percolating pectorals. And then there's the drama you can skip. Skip the drama that comes with not having your high school diploma or equivalency. Find free adult education classes near you and finish your diploma. Visit finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. And lead the drama to actors like me. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ed Council. Hi, I'm Dustin Lynch. You don't have to listen country music to know that life can be full of drama some of it you just can't control like your girlfriend running out on you with your best friend but there's some drama you can skip skip the drama that comes with not having your high school diploma or equivalency find free adult education classes near you and finish your diploma visit finishyourdiploma.org that's finishyourdiploma.org you just need to take that first step and find free classes near you and start moving towards a brighter future and even your college degree brought to you by the dollar general literacy foundation and the ed council It'll challenge your authority, because that's what kids do. But this car is your territory, and in here, your word is law. So when you say you won't move until everyone's buckled up, you won't budge an inch. Until you hear that click. Never give up. Until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. For more information, visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for the
0: fastest headlines in opera news. Everything you need to know from Opera Land in the past week, delivered in two minutes tops. Of the five artists to be honored at the Kennedy Center this year, only dancer and choreographer Carmen de la Valada falls into the tradition of the arts on which the Kennedy Center was founded and built its reputation. So says Philip Kennicott in the Washington Post. He argues that, quote, the other honorees are all great talents but belong to a commercial entertainment culture that has no need of the Kennedy Center. In an article in The New Yorker, Alex Ross writes, quote, How gay is opera? According to popular folklore, Very, the culture indicated by the phrase, quote, opera queen became visible in pioneering openly gay communities of the late 19th century. These days, he says, younger people are far likelier to use pop music as a lingua franca. Heading overseas, Anna Trebko is singing the title role in a new production of Verdi's Aida that opened on Sunday at the Salzburg Festival. It's... Conducted by Riccardo Mutti. The Vienna State Opera announced last Monday that its next music director would be Swiss conductor Philippe Jordan, who will begin in fall 2020. Britain's Rape of Lucretia will play this weekend in Tianjin, China, and what the organizers believe to be the work's Asian premiere. Exit stage right. British opera director Lee Blakely has died. Lee was 45 in a regular Santa Fe opera. And also on this day, Konstantin Stanislavski died in 1938. Please, please tell me who you know that is. That's your two-minute drill.
1: From Chicago, it's Opera Box Score with George and Oliver. That's right, just you and me, baby. Okay,
2: tonight. so we, I have the internet in front of me, but wait—you've so you got the internet I in do, front of you. But I don't want you to say something like that. Like tell, but like, like, please tell me you know who that is. Like, why don't you just tell us who that is, so people don't feel dumb and they have to like are are being admonished for not knowing some cultural reference. You know, Ooh. but we're Opera Box Score. We're like we're supposed to be like lowbrow. You know,
0: well. Yeah, but for this crowd, Stanislavski is lowbrow. i you, Oliver, know who Konstantin Stanislavski is,
2: right? The name sounds like an acting somebody who wrote like an acting book. There you go, like baby. Okay. You got it. Okay, you but I it. don't know. I mean, I know that there's like the method or something like that, but I don't know. I mean, I didn't. St- I'm a singer. Like <laughs> that's no excuse. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's absolutely so. Tell no us, excuse. like,
2: how does that relate to opera, and why is it in your two minute drill?
0: Konstantin Stanislavski was the father of modern acting. Mm -hmm. He lived in Russia, died in the early 20th century. Oh, so
2: it's the Putin connection
0: nothing to do with putin at all okay this is what's important is that stanislavsky's work would later be misinterpreted to become so-called method acting so Mm -hmm. there there is a confusion there what's interesting is that although stanislavsky is really known for acting in the theater he actually directed Mm -hmm. opera and worked with opera singers and wrote a book about it called stanislavsky on opera which i recommend to all my students
2: i think i actually that book passed through my hands when I was an undergrad, but okay. I don't think like, I ever read it.
0: <laughs> well, I know what you're getting for Hanukkah then. Yeah.
2: Oh, thanks. What
0: about—isn't the High Holy Holidays coming sooner than Hanukkah? I'm a little fuzzy on the High
2: Holy Days. They're, I mean, I know that my friends honest. are in rehearsal for those Rosh Hashanah, right now, so, yeah.
0: it's in September. I let, yeah. My wife keeps the calendar.
2: Okay. So there's no gift-giving in Rosh Hashanah? No. Okay. No. It's not like Easter like where you but get like I, a basket full of But
0: then I always get Yom Kippur cream, cream eggs, confused you know. with Purim and okay. again, this is why my wife takes care of it. <laughs> okay. She just tells tells me when to
2: show up. All right. So, where uh, do you want to start? Well, I mean w- let's start from the top, huh?
0: I that's a very good yeah. place to
2: start. The Kennedy
0: Center honors have you ever been? By the way, I've never
2: been. But this is this is actually a story that I flagged because yeah. uh, the author is so correct, and I actually have like a couple. Of, well, I had a couple of years worth of Kennedy Center p- ceremonies on my DVR that I never get around to watching because I just don't have time for that stuff. But I want to watch that. I
0: don't know if that's brilliant or lame. No, it's or... just
2: like because like they honor people who have made a contribution to the fine arts. Like Martina Arroyo, I know, was a winner a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And like Grace Bunbury, you know? Uh, so, Let's just
0: fill in the other winners this year. Yeah. By the way, television no. producer Norman Lear. Yeah. Singer songwriter Gloria Estefan, mm-hmm. music mogul Lionel Richie, and mm-hmm. hip hop star LL Cool J. Okay,
2: cool. So that's amazing for them. And I do not detract at all from what their accomplishments are. But do they really need. The acknowledgement and the support, the bump, you know, from an institution that ostensibly is one that is a, ho- a home for the fine performing arts, you know?
0: Well, no one who, who gets awarded a Kennedy Center honor needs the bump because you've hmm. made it so far in your career. But what, what the Kennedy Center is saying is that it's, it's rewarding popular culture in a place where the classical art should be rewarded. Right. That seems to me to be the main
2: problem I think here. it's the bump, because I actually think that maybe in the past couple of decades, it has been a way to publicize the careers or the works of mm. artists that people in the popular culture might not know. Like, they, there are these rich... Let's, let's put it out there. The, these awards are for people who watch PBS yeah. and for the rich people who go to galas and stuff like that at the Kennedy Center. And there are new generations of rich people whose parents, you know, bequeathed them their legacies or their inheritances or whatever, you know, and who now are responsible for supporting the arts, supporting, you know, for being philanthropists. Like that's going to be their career as philanthropists, you know. Yeah. So, they're the ones that need this education. They need to go to the Kennedy Center Awards because it's something that's been on their calendar every year, and they, you know, their wife gets to buy a gown, or their husband gets to rent a tuxedo, you know. Right. And they get to have a nice dinner, then they go and they sit down at this ceremony, which the president might show up at, you know. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. And, well, not that president, not but, you know, one. generally the president... Can, can you or some, imagine
0: Donald yeah. Trump listening to
2: this? And then they honor, over the course of whatever the evening five people who have made major contributions to the arts and maybe they heard of one of those people they heard of maybe sting wins one one year you know okay so it's like oh i know sting and they're excited to see sting perform or whatever or you know some tribute to carly simon or whoever you know but then there's also then there's also like this 30 minute thing they got to sit through where they learn about anthony tudor or about you know lantyne price or about whatever, Leonard Bernstein or whoever, whatever iconic American talent is out there, they have to learn about that because they are there, you know, and that's a way of like seeding people to understand the importance of the arts. Uh,
0: what you do have to say about that list is how diverse it is. Uh, Latina, a black man, Lionel Richie, he's black, right? Yeah. Okay. Why, why his do
2: daughter's s- not but no okay
0: but why do you sigh though I mean I- I'm trying to find a these positive are, these st- are
2: pop artists
0: yeah yeah
2: and the, I don't see what they're doing as contributing to the greater culture like they've they've, created, they've contributed to pop culture which is this should is, be
0: like the MTV Music Awards this list
2: it should be Oh, the one that we have now. Yes, that's closer. Yeah, it's like it's like MTV Hall of Fame or something like that. You know.
0: Yeah, I was going to say from like the uh, yeah from the eighties like that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are people who have not yet received Kennedy Center awards who have been major, like Roberta Peters, who died recently, like American singer who had a career forever. She's still not a Kennedy Center. Oh my
0: God, the list is long when you look at the. WAPO article. Yeah,
2: the suggested people who should have, who should have received one are it's, like Frederica Bunkstada, you know, yeah. like oh, Samuel crazy. Ramey, you know, it's Kathleen crazy. Battle, you know, yeah. have not received a Kevin Center Award, you know. Glass, I don't think. He hasn't received one yet? John Adams. Nope. Okay.
0: Neither of those guys have.
2: Yeah. I would even put people like Dawn Upshaw on that list, you know. She's getting up there. Absolutely.
0: You know? Absolutely. How about the article in The New Yorker?
2: Uh, we're Just done with that. how okay.
0: gay is opera?
2: Okay, so I love this article, and I wish we actually had more gay on the show today to talk about it in a serious way, but we've kind of relegated it to this segment.
0: We're 50-50. But... And let me just say, Alex Ross, the music <laughs> critic for The New Yorker, author of the book The Rest is Noise, yeah. the best book on 20th century music out there. This is not a new book. You you know me, everybody, how late I am to things. Yeah. This is a book that was written in the early 2000s. I just read it last year.
2: Okay. Well, the premise of this article is that, I mean, what's amazing about this article, and you should all read it, especially if you're gay and you are involved in opera, is that it's a catalog of all of the major operatic works that are uh, have gay content, you know, either a gay character, gay protagonist, whatever. Uh, and he goes all the way back to, I forget which one he lists as like, probably the first gay character opera, you know, Julius Caesar or something like that, you know?
0: No, it's from, it's from Lulu.
2: Oh, yeah. Berg, Countess. Countess 1930. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a catalog of these shows, which I think is very important to have it in one place. But he also references a book that I read when I was a young person called The Queen's Throat, um, which is rela- by Wayne, Wayne Kassenbach. Kusten yeah. Now, yeah. Relating. Did you read it, yeah, you read like it a,
0: when you were at Northwestern, by the way? I read That's it I when read I was it.
2: like in high school. Oh, so, wow. okay. yeah. Or just out of high school. So
0: It's opera box score and WNUR.
2: Um, it relates, you know, queer theory to opera and fandom and like, you know, how we worship, you know, the fe- the, the female voice and this type right. of thing, you know. But um, something that I might have already said on this show, I know for sure I've talked about it on opera now, is that the gay culture used to be expected to... Understand the finer things in life, you know, like to understand cuisine, to understand fine art, to understand opera, you know. Sherry, exactly. Ascots, monocles, yeah, yeah. But something happened. Uh, well, and, that's
0: just Mr. Peanut. Yeah, and anyway. I think
2: we, I think we can blame the AIDS crisis, where it wiped out a generation of gay men, who would have mentored the younger generation of gay men. On top of which, it is much. I know it's not easy everywhere but it's much easier in today's society in, in america to be an out homosexual and there was there's no longer this like closeted culture you know it still exists obviously but it's easier to just to be open and i think the closet actually forces people to find common interests and to find their you know uh the people who share their common interests right um in those niche areas and more often than not they were in fine arts circles you know so these things are making it less important for gay people to know about opera. But I still feel as, like, somebody who's, like, not quite generation... I'm not a millennial, and I'm definitely Generation X. There's, like, that new zone that they created, I forget what they call it, uh, that's, like, halfway millennial, halfway Generation X. Right. Um, is it X? Am I X or my Y? I forget. But um,
0: Y. No, you'd be Y.
2: Yeah? Okay. No, I'm X.
0: Paul Ryan is, like, Generation
2: X. I'm 40-something,
0: I understand yeah. that. Go on.
2: Um, yeah, I feel, I feel like I'm very old-fashioned in that way. And I want to mentor. I want to... And that's part of the reason why I do this show. That's part of the reason why I do everything I do, is that I feel like I was given this gift. I was, I was shown by somebody else, you know, um, what this is all about. I was exposed to things. And it has changed my life for better or for worse. It has caused me to make... Decisions about my career for better or for worse. Um, But at any rate, somebody took the time to show me, you know? And I feel like now it's just so easy to learn about things on a very superficial superficial way, you know? And everybody feels like they have access to all the knowledge because it's really there at the tip of their fingers, you know? But they're not learning deeply about things and not learning to love things. And I'm always so happy when I find people who have taken the time to learn about something in that deeper way, it's really satisfying to me to meet those people, but they're not, they're few and far between. When
0: so. you look at Alex Ross's list of operas that have gay themes in them, obviously there were very few mm. in the early 20th century, yeah. and there's more and more as it goes on. He mentions Zalame. I think that's debatable. Obviously mm. the work of Benjamin Britten, yeah. Peter Grimes, Billy Budd, Death in Venice. He even mentions uh, Michael Tippett, yeah. Britain's contemporary. Uh, with a 1970 opera, The Knot Garden. And then you get into Young Caesar by Lou Harrison, which was just done at L.A. Opera, excuse Mm -hmm. me, the L.A. Philharmonic. Operas like Harvey Milk.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's getting more explicit. Angels in
0: America, Three Sisters. Fellow Travelers. Paul's Case. Paul's Case, I think, having directed that, I think that's debatable, if that is sort of a a so-called gay opera, or how how clear the, the... Homosexual themes are in that mm-hmm. they're really not that clear in the original text, and I don't think Gregory Spears's piece makes any more of them than they are in the original work. Beyond that, though, I think like that's a pretty interesting list. Are there other operas that you can think of that you would put on that list, or or what is it that's that's interesting about those pieces?
2: I don't Do you know? I don't know exactly what what you're getting at uh, with I mean I feel like. The point of this list is, A, to have it as a list somewhere. I think it's pretty comprehensive. Right. But also just to show the trajectory... Of how gay characters are portrayed in opera, just like in television, like how they're first on the sidelines or first maybe it's not even explicit that they're gay, like in the Britain operas. But then more and more we see it being very open, like Mm -hmm. this is what this is about. Like here are these characters. This is something about them that you have to accept from the onset. Like people go to see Brokeback Mountain, know what it's about already. (laughs) Exactly.
0: That's a great point. That in Britain's work, it is much more hidden.
2: Yeah. It's implied. Yeah. It's implied. Yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. And that's certainly not the way it is in yeah. something like Back Mountain. But then you have Angels people, in there's
2: people like John Vickers who were like a hero uh, of, well, champion of yeah. the opera, Peter Grimes, but okay. who was like a noted homophobe, you know, so, and never thought that, that Peter Grimes was gay, you know, that the Peter Grimes didn't, you know, so.
0: Hey, let's take one more story. Uh, before, before we Before we go to the break. And be,
2: then, Before okay. we go to another story, I just want to say, I have always suspected that one of the, unspoken subtext of La Clemente di Tito is that Titus and uh, Sesto had homosexual relations when Sesto was younger, which is why Sesto's music for, his aria for Tito de Periquesto sounds like love music. And there's love theme that definitely goes through it that's throughout the opera that's like a motif. Okay, anyway, next I think story. you can
0: make a real point on that. Hey, super quick before the break... Aida. Oh, my God. So Anna Trepko, yeah, Anna
2: Trepko I mean, like this, this, the headline of the story should be Anna Trepko does okay as Aida. I mean, that's basically what Zachary Wolfe wrote, Zachary Wolf wrote in their New York, in the New York Times. But this is one of his best reviews. It's written so well. He says so many trenchant things and his language is great. And he really does put the spotlight on Riccardo Muti and Muti's importance as a Verdi conductor even to this day and how he might be one of the few conductors that could... Uh, you know, equalize Anna Netrebko and make her star shine less.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Good for him. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, I think she's a pain in the ass. So it.
2: Uh, I, she's like the most famous opera singer in the world right now. So what are you going to do about it? You know, you can be both things. Yeah, uh, but they also. Um, he also talks about the uh, stage director. Um, what's her name?
0: Shivan Neshat, who is a celebrated photographer and video artist. I'm sorry,
2: what's the job? Does it not that it's important? But what's no, the it gender? is. That is a
0: she. Um, okay. That. What she, she is a she okay she is a she okay i mean you can look i'll actually i'll just put the production photos on the website okay. now that we've talked yeah, about like, it but like boring yeah he's really kind of
2: like she should have done better you know it's like well, it just seems generic you know it,
0: it's totally generic he's basically saying you have like a multimedia visual artist who's a woman who's very contemporary and the best she can come up with is this same sort of stock gestures and staging and visual imagery of any other Aida that's ever been done,
2: basically. Let me just read one line from uh, Zachary Wolf's review. Go for it. Even star singers are forced to recede when collaborating with this conductor meaning Muti. It is no coincidence that in the final seconds of the opera, the only illumination in the theater was focused squarely on the podium. And don't you forget it, the spotlight seemed to say. <laughs> I love this review. <laughs> I think everybody should read it. It's so. good.
0: I'm going to... um. I think I'll put a, a better link to it on our website, operaboxscore.com, and I will also put some of those production photos on. Hey, we're gonna do a little bit more two-minute drill after the break. We'll get to my postcard from Northern Michigan right at the end of the show. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR eighty-nine point three FM. <laughs>
1: Chicago. You're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this.
2: Okay, Sarah, I'm dropping you at Emily's, and Josh, you're going to soccer, right? Yeah. Yep. Oh, and by the way, when I pick you up, I'll be wearing my short shorts.
1: What? No! Yep,
2: me and my short shorts doing my daddy dance. Your friends will love it. No! Well, I might change my mind if you buckle your seatbelts.
1: Okay, okay, we're buckling up. See, all buckled.
2: Whatever it takes, keep them safe.
1: Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup for more information.
2: Come on, smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling.
1: Maybe he's not a smiler.
2: Yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. Or maybe he's teething. Maybe it's just a phase. Maybe he has autism, and we can definitely do something to help.
1: Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council.
0: When Dad needed help getting around, I became his driver. Soon enough, it was up to me to be his housekeeper and financial manager, too. When he moved in, I became his cook and even his nurse. But no matter what roles I play, I know I'm still his daughter. We understand the roles you play. So to help, we created AARP.org caregiving, where you can connect with experts and other caregivers. Visit AARP.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
1: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquest and Oliver the Man. Camacho. That's
0: the show, all right. Opera Box Score. WNUR 89.3 FM. Good to see you, sir, Oliver.
2: So I guess the last couple of things we want to mention was that Philippe Jordan Philippe Jordan Jordan, the son of the Conductor Armin Jordan, Jourdan, uh, Philippe Jourdan, 42 years old now, is now the Paris Opera music director. No? Vienna. Vienna State okay. Opera. Oh, he was. Oh, he's going to do both. What's. I'm confused.
0: He, he is currently the music director of the Paris Opera, and okay. the Vienna Symphony. Okay. And he's moving to the Vienna State Opera.
2: Ah, okay. Yeah. So he must speak German.
0: I would certainly he's hope Swiss, so. Yeah, he's, he's Swiss, yeah. He's Swiss. Yeah, okay, yeah. They speak Man, the everything. they the Swiss over are this, so. so weird. They're
2: awesome. No, I love it.
0: No, they're odd. I mean, they're not as weird as the Belgians, but they're mm. pretty weird.
2: Okay, I dated a Swiss, so... how did that go? Well, I'm still single, so... And then, um, He
0: succeeds, Franz Welser-Möst. Jawohl. Who, Zumwohl <laughs> who abruptly resigned in 2014. Can I just say... Opera in Vienna is like news, entertainment, pop culture, sports rolled into one. It is everything in that city. He is running, I would argue, the world's most important opera institution.
2: Wiener Staatsoper? Yeah. Okay. Don't you think so? I mean, I've never been, so I would love to go and be able to... I, I
0: can't think of a single more important opera house. I mean, that really sets the tone for what needs to be happening in opera... What artists are the ones that we need to listen to? I mean, the quality of that. And how, how much
2: American opera are they doing?
0: Mm, not so much. Okay. Oh. That's a great little pop quiz. When was the last time they did an American opera? I'm sure your opera, opera
2: database has information on that. So. I'm
0: all over that, yo. <laughs>
2: yeah. You can report to us next week about that.
0: How about the Rape of Lucretia being done for the first time in Asia?
2: Yeah, I don't, I'm waiting for the story to be confirmed somewhere I, else. I besides. find that
0: very hard to believe. That what that rape of Lucretia that was written in the mid 50s has never been okay. Done so this in Asia. is a
2: story from Slip Disc. It's the really the only source for this story. It's not true. It's, st-
0: it's also on the director's website as well. Okay, but it doesn't Okay, but I'm say. saying like
2: as far as journalism goes, like it's the only source for the story. So I tend to not listen to anything that happens on on Slip Disc, especially when the headline is Lucretia raped in China.
0: Yeah, well, certainly the director is going to say it's the it's the Asian premiere. It's yeah. never been done in Japan. Hmm. Yeah, uh, and this is a. a, a semi-staged concert yeah. version as well. So, so, although it's a largely European uh, cast in terms... Well, male chorus, Nigel Robson, Lucretia Sarah Castle, and female chorus, Madeleine Pierrar. So it's, it's Europeans playing the three major roles. Yeah. Uh, Tarcunius is Chinese, but...
2: Mm. Colatinus?
0: Colatinus? That's not a major role mm. in that it's show. A role. It's it's a it's a rule, yeah. but it doesn't doesn't leap out. Lee Blakely has died, young guy. He was forty five when he died. Oof. That we're talking about ages. I'm thirty eight something. Uh, I mean, anybody dying at forty five just gives you the shivers, you know. Lee Blakely, what he was really known for was his work on Stephen Sondheim repertoire. Hmm. He was he directed the French premiere of Sunday in the Park with George mm-hmm. at the Théâtre du Châtelet in Paris. He directed Sweeney Todd to great success here in the U.S. at San Francisco Opera. The same production was at Lyric. This is the one with Bryn Turfill. It was back in like 03 or 04 or 05. That was really his wheelhouse was Sondheim. He also directed at Gleinborn, Santa Fe, as well, Wexford, Canadian Opera Company, Covent Garden, English National Opera, Scottish Opera. It's a loss. It's a huge loss. I, I never met the man, but having seen his work, definitely a loss hmm. for the industry. We already talked about Konstantin Stanislavski.
2: Yeah, that's not really a story. That's just like that happened.
0: That's just a thing. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you want to do my Chalk Talk then?
2: Yeah. Then
0: let's do my chalk talk. Nice. I get my own intro. <laughs> you do chalk talk. It's the same on one you got. Opera oh, box okay. score. Thanks, Norm. We got a few minutes just to wrap it up. Hey, I have newfound respect for opera singers. You do? I do. And this is why, because when I was at the Bayview Music Festival, yeah, I took
2: some voice lessons. So, what what made you decide to do this first of all?
0: Well, half my life is directing opera. Yeah. Half my life is opera box score <laughs> and half my life is teaching early childhood music. Yeah. And I sing a lot in these classes. I sing a cappella and I was like, "You know, I need to I want to have I get very tired when I sing." So I sing like 15 to 20 hours a week mm-hmm. in my early childhood music classes that yeah. I teach. I don't know if that's a lot or a little. But I get tired by the end of the week. Yeah. And so I wanted to take some voice lessons to You're a tenor, right? I'm a tenor, yeah. obviously. Yeah. to work on vocal health,
2: mm-hmm.
0: better breathing, better posture, better pure sound, so mm-hmm. I don't want a I don't want vibrato in the sound because it's hard for young children to to listen to and to match pitch. I mm. need a very pure
2: sound. Okay, I'm curious already. And so <laughs> I took
0: uh I took 3 different hour-long lessons with 3 different uh, teachers two tenors and a baritone mm-hmm. and oh my god oliver is it yeah. hard to sing like mm. these guys i mean they,
2: like uh, that maybe yeah
0: i understand that i mean they've been doing it a long time and this is just a one-hour class but as soon as we started talking about breathing open and closed vowels getting the larynx to be very low yeah. singing through the mask like this started to these are things that they mind. told you
2: like in your first lesson
0: I had one shot with each okay. person. Okay. So it had to be very You said, tell compressed. me everything. <laughs> tell me
2: everything you know about singing. I didn't stuff. say
0: that. I said, "Was this is what I want to solve. I want you to give me some habits, mm-hmm. things I can practice by myself that can help me achieve these goals of, of basically stamina and vocal health.
2: Okay.
0: And a lot of it came down to Like the, the, the apparatus and where to, where to play stuff, you know, this idea of like getting the lyrics down low, getting a lot of the tension out of my neck and my shoulders, which apparently I have Mm. when I sing. I, I just, I mean, obviously we just touched the very tip of the iceberg, but it just blew my mind.
2: Well, my, one of my best voice teachers basically told me that you can learn everything you need to know about singing like really in 10 minutes. But okay. it will take oh. you a lifetime to actually be able to do it. You exactly. Know? And one of the things that I took away from my lessons with this teacher is that really the voice is there. The voice is, you know, the beautiful instrument that we were given, yeah. you know, is already there. You just have to figure out what you're doing to F with it and stop doing that, you know. Totally. Uh, In
0: my case, it was tension in my throat and my neck singing like on my chords rather than, again, getting that lyrics down low and trying to get the sound through that into my See, I don't, I mean, I'm
2: not, I, I I understand what they're saying because those are are like images that you get when you take many lessons. But I don't like hearing that you were told those things like in one lesson. I mean, granted, like maybe they felt like they had to give this all to you because you were asking for it. Right. But those are concepts that I find to be very unhelpful because they give you ideas that you have to somehow manipulate your body, you know? Like, it's hard to depress your larynx, you know? It's hard to, like, just remove tension or it's, like, hold your tongue down. Like, all these things, are supposed to, like, create an effect. What you're going for is trying to sound like the way you speak when you sing. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about trying to sing without vibrato. Vibrato is not something that you produce vibrato is a side effect of healthy singing. So by you asking to like I want to know how to sing without vibrato, you're asking I want to learn how to sing with tension, you know. But boy
0: sopranos don't have vibrato.
2: Yeah, because they don't they're boy sopranos. I mean, because their instruments are not fully developed, you know.
0: Okay, but musical theater singers sometimes have vibrato and sometimes
2: don't. Yeah, they're holding their their their, their chords straight. They're repressing they it. Yeah. And then you hear at the end of long notes how the vibrato comes in because they can no longer. I mean, they're allowing the vibrato to come in. You know, it's not like they're forcing the vibrato into the. It's voices, interesting
0: so. what you said. I'm I'm surprised none of those teachers called me out on that and were like, "Hey, dude, don't fight it. You should have." Yeah,
2: I mean, vibrato. like you shouldn't have a wobble. You know, when you first started to sing, you know, but there is a natural spinning that happens, a natural oscillation that that happens, and when the chords are relaxed. They vibrate, you know, Hmm. when they don't vibrate, you're holding them, you're holding them straight. And I know because I actually choose straight tone a lot and it's messing up my technique. Like now the the older I get. Straight
0: tone, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah,
2: the older I get, the more I have to like be careful about when I choose straight tone because it's not, it's not healthy, you know.
0: I was surprised how much the tongue is involved in singing
2: how much it shouldn't be involved in singing is what you should be surprised about. Like the tongue happens, the tongue is there. And like, some people have like just tension that, that comes up that they think they're, well, what we hear in our ears as singers is different than what the audience hears. You know, I didn't know
0: that either. So you
2: have to learn how to accept certain sensations and certain sounds as being beautiful, you have to have somebody else, somebody else's ear say, okay, that is a healthy sound." And then they get used to those sensations and then begin to try to find like where in your r- range are those sensations happening more easily. And starting from those places in your voice and then trying to stretch up out- outward from there, you know, start with your strength, you know.
0: I, I hope this conversation doesn't make our listeners who are singers think I'm an ingrate or an idiot. Like, I know how hard singing is. I just didn't realize. Well, you
2: just said that you did, but I, I have to say, like, a lot of people listen to the show who I talk to yeah. have commented on how your perspective is rarely sympathetic to the singer, so...
0: Could it be any other way, though? I,
2: I mean, no. I, well, there's I, a lot of singers on this panel, so you don't, we don't have to have everybody being sympathetic to the singers. We do need a voice on this show that is sympathetic to other areas of the production, which singers sometimes here, have, have blindfolds on. Look, you know, so.
0: A director, that's yeah. me. A director yeah. took some singing lessons, yeah. and he said, "Guess what, guys? Singing harder than it looks." <laughs> All right. And
2: other news, the sky is blue. Okay, okay, yes.
0: Turns out the Pope is actually Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) But look, Tobias Wright, if you got him to direct some opera scenes, Mm. and you then got him on the show, you'd be like, hey, guess what? I mean I knew directing was hard, but yeah. now I've tried it. It's like really hard. But I mean so with, all I'm saying is we would just have an appreciation. Yeah, I'm glad. But like, like with other.
2: everything, like nobody should do anything without understanding that it takes skill and you have to develop skill, you know? Yeah, like we do. So I, yeah, I I don't I would never say that directing is easy. I've done it a couple of yeah. times. Since like it's well,
0: you're in you're in this space b- between Tobias and myself where mm, you have done. I'm the perfect
2: synthesis of George. And well, you're Tobias, not perfect, but you are a synthesis
0: <laughs> of what I don't know. <laughs> uh, all right, hey, let's wrap this show up.
1: Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score.
0: Well, nice to be back in the studio, yeah. even if just. Briefly, before we head to the podcast land, Podcastville, that's what I'm going to call it, Podcastville. You got a good call or a bad call? What do you got, man?
2: Two things. Uh, I want to direct everybody's attention to the New York Times Live video of Anthony Roth Costanzo in recital, which they actually posted to Facebook. So you can find it on Facebook, but it originates from New York Times Live. And Anthony Roth-Costanzo, I think a really important singer of our time, we might get to talk about him again in the near future. But uh, I like reading the comments on this this video. I think it's really interesting to see Anthony Roth-Costanzo himself respond to some of the comments in his own singing. And the other thing I want to say is something I've been talking about for a while now. Uh, Sir John Elliot Gardner's Monteverdi 450 Project is coming to Chicago in October and it's almost sold out. So if you're interested in attending, you should go buy a subscription. I know this is like, it sounds like an advertisement, but it's actually, you save 50% by buying a subscription and if you, book, if you see all three operas, you save 50% at the Harris Theater. That's all I'll say That's about idiot. that. And we might be able to get some of the cast members in here in the studio around that time. I'll, so. I'll tell
0: you where you can't get a deal and that is buying tickets to the Billy Joel concert, mm. which is... At Wrigley Field on yeah. Friday, that me and my sweet sexy lady, that would be my wife, are who going to your together. Jewish calendar. We are going to Billy Joel at Wrigley Field on nice. Friday. I, I love am Billy Joel. so excited. You want to talk about someone who can sing? Mm. Hey, that's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. The general manager at WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Hey, visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com. V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S dot com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and do us a favor, please leave a review. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera with one of those delicious shandies, you know, half beer, half lemonade. We're back with a podcast-only version of our show on Monday, August 14 at 9 p.m. Central, with more opera headlines, interviews, and insider opinions. Argo Radio is up next. This is wnur W N U R F M, Evanston, Chicago. Chicago Sound Experiment.